This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is a funny story that people haven't heard. When the video dropped the first time, I actually hated the video. Wait. (laughs) Hated it? Hated, hated, because it was off sync. You want to get it so it's nice and gooey, but the edit was off by like a millisecond. (laughs) Oh, come on. I'm your host, KC Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. Oh, hi. (laughs) I know it's been a minute, I know, but we're finally back with a new season of Creative Conversation, and I'm so glad to be back. And I have to say that we're coming out of the gate with a little two-step, maybe even a little swag, a little bounce, hmm? I mean, obviously, neither of which I have if I'm speaking my own truth. But my guest, on the other hand, has grooved his way into pop culture history. Jaquel Knight is a choreographer and creative director who has worked with just about any major artist you can think of, including Shakira, Britney Spears, Megan Thee Stallion, and yes, oh yes, Beyonce. In fact, Jaquel choreographing the ever-iconic single ladies video is how he was catapulted into the industry, and it's been just one show-stopping music video or live performance ever since. In our conversation, Jaquel explains how he turned being a wrong fit into his big break, the reason why he hides his trophies, and the importance of tearing down your own work. All right, Jaquel Knight. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, man. No worries. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I mean, listen, famed, famed choreographer and creative director. I mean, I just want to know, before the Beyonce's of the world, the Megan, the, the Megan, the Stallions of the world, the Shakira's, the Britney Spears, all of these humongous celebrities that you've worked with, I want you to take me back to where it all started for you. Like, what was that moment that clicked in your head where you said, I want to be a choreographer? That was in high school for me. I would say my junior year of high school, I was a musician first. I had plans of being the biggest producer in the world. I wanted to be the next Pharrell Williams. That was my uh, goal (laughs) when I was in school. Like I played for instruments. I used to write music. I played saxophone for six years, started playing French horn mellophone. Um, I just knew I was going to make music. I was going to go to school for audio engineering. (laughs) But my junior year of high school, my best friend, took me to a dance workshop and from that one weekend of dance with it was like all the popping choreographers at the time so like shane sparks dave scott laureate gibson um brian friedman it was a weekend that they came uh (laughs) they came to atlanta and it just changed my whole mindset on like, oh my God, this is a this is really a world. And from there, I just started training and taking classes and studying. Started my own dance team in Atlanta out of the high school, Tucker High School. And then we used to perform all over the city. You know, I was just committed to the craft, committed to the art, committed to the idea of getting better and being able to travel the world doing something that I 
you know, found a joy in. Right. And so, I mean, what was that? Because, I mean, obviously music and dance are kind of in this, they're in the same wheelhouse, to, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But what was it about dance specifically that really, that really made you want to do that switch? Because it sounded like you were really focused on being a musician. But so what was it about dance that made you think like, oh, no, this is what I want to do? I think it was just the energy. You know, the good thing about band growing up is dance and music, not in the same wheelhouse. They're the same. Right. You know, so the marching band, we danced. It wasn't like, OK, go out and play all your classical songs. No, we went out. We played Earth, Wind and Fire. That had a slide step. We played Cameo. That had a two step. You know, we did all the crunk songs at the time. Nuck if you bug. We some hair busters that had steps, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was always dancing. You know, dance was always a part of my musical journey. You know, even as a child in my grandmother's house at cookouts, you know, wherever there was music, there was dance. So I was just, I think it was something that I didn't quite connect the dots so clearly then. And I think once I, once I started like taking classes and, you know, seeing the, seeing dance in a different light, you know, I would say it was the energy, being able to tap into the energy and creating a mood of however you felt in that moment, allowing the dance and the movement or, you know, be able to put a show together that, and you made people feel however you wanted them to feel. You know, it was the ability to change minds and change hearts and win people over. I think that was something that I fell in love with early on. Definitely. And, you know, you obviously, we know all the work that you've done now, but I want to know what those early years were for you, because, you know, when it comes to honing your craft, when it comes to marketing yourself, I know you're part of like a dance troupe and you started like, you know, like being a choreographer really early on. And so there was no Instagram, there's no YouTube back then to show your work. And so what was that, what was that hustle like for you in those early years? Like, how did you really start making a name for yourself? Keyword hustle, (laughs) hustle, 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 hustle hard. (laughs) It was day in, day out, as much as I allowed it to be, as much as it was allowed to be even. You know, I remember going to stand at my friend's house and it was about six of us at the time, six or seven of us that all, you know, had this passion of dance. And a few of us would travel the weekends, you know, to a convention in North Carolina or in Chicago. And then we would come back and teach all our friends the dances that we learned. You know, um, we would take turns making up a dance to different songs. We would collaborate, make up dances together. You can, you get two eight counts, you get two eight counts. And then with that, we would go and just sweep the city anytime there was an opportunity to perform we would be there you know all the celebrity basketball games every talent show in the city we performed at and from those events we would connect with managers after and you know artists after like oh my god can you guys come do our video can you come do our um live show can you put our show together can y'all be our dancers we got a tour you know, the franchise boys, we're going to open up for them. Can you come? You know, I've done all of that. You know, your DJ Unks, I've done those videos. I've done perform with them at the Hip Hop Awards. You know, every, I remember seeing, you know, Crime Mob perform for the first time ever, you know? So I think the hustle just never, you know, my family was <laughs> hustlers. So that mentality was in me, you know, just to allow every opportunity 
I had or got for the crew or for myself, you know, it's like, how can we maximize this opportunity and let it expand and become something more than what's here? You know, I always saw the what's next and things, you know, not just what was here now, but okay, boom, what can be next? Okay. Oh, we're here now. Oh, that goes, you know, DJ Jelly or DJ, oh, that's the co-founder of Big Oomp Records. Let's go say hello to him. You know, oh, and he would link us with the video. Okay, he would, from the video, would meet, uh, you know, uh, producers of videos. They produce a lot of stuff and they would put us on all the videos. You know, I always thought, you know, next steps. And obviously that hustle led to your big break. And oh my God, what a break it was. Because I feel like <laughs> you, for those who are don't know this about your story you were one of the choreographers for Beyonce single ladies video and I know you have told the story so many times at this point but please for my sake walk me through uh, <laughs> take me through this because and take your time because I feel like this is as close to Beyonce as I'll ever get so please how did this come about how did this big this big ass break come for you let's see I was in LA I probably was in LA now Going on a year, I had just quit my first semester of school. I went to school for a semester for graphic design at Woodbury University. And I was like, okay, let me just give this dance thing a real go at it, you know, a real try. So I was auditioning, you know, multiple times a week. And there was a call for a Michelle Williams audition. Frank Gadsden was holding the call for Michelle Williams, her kind of debut pop project. So I was like, oh, my God, this can be the chance because Frank was working with everyone, you know, Beyonce included, Kelly Rowland. You know, he had all the girl groups back then. Anything that was like he had like Rihanna at one point, Tierra Marie was like a big thing coming up. Um, and he was like involved in all of those big award show performances that I like, you know, haven't had a history as well with Michael Jackson and Janet as well. I was like, oh, my God, this could be a chance for me, you know to kind of get in, you know, whatever that meant, you know, it was to be a chance for me to get in the game. And it was a dance audition. And I knew, you know, I wasn't really the aesthetic of male dancer that he, you know, preferred, you know, from watching videos, you know, he liked muscular, taller guys, you know, um, super fit. And that just wasn't me at the time, you know, <laughs> I mean. but skin, you know, was hungry you know, was starving, you know, all of those things were me. <laughs> you know, if you can't be honest with yourself, I mean, who can you look, you know, look, you know, but I could dance. Okay. I would say that I could dance. I could move. I could groove. Um, so I went to the audition, you know, not to necessarily book a gig at, you know, being a Michelle dancer, but hopefully Frank would have seen something in me to, you know, say, hey, you got something, you know, I see your heart, you have something here, you know, and it was just that, you know, I have, I remember I freestyled, and after I freestyled, he was like, oh my God, you know, what is, the, what you call that? What is that thing you're doing? You know, what is that energy coming from? He was like, Michelle's on the way. Can you do that for when Michelle get here? So I did it for Michelle. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we need to get you on the project. You know, you need to somehow come in and give us some of those steps, give us some of that energy, some of those grooves. You know, he literally called me like two days later. was like, hey, can you stop by the rehearsal today? We'll pay you a couple of hundred dollars and you can teach us like a few grooves that we can use in the video. And I was like, sure. And then through that opportunity, like me going in and teaching 
those grooves, he then was impressed by, oh, you know how to run a rehearsal. Oh, you know how to teach people. Oh, you know how to control the room, you know, and, you know, allow your voice to be heard and not be little people. Oh, you actually know how to teach well. And I was like, yeah, this is all the things I was doing in Atlanta. You know, I had a group. I had I was the drum major in the band. I had, you know, a band of 150 members. I had to control every day. You know, I was doing creative direction, had to keep a family environment around a group of people where I had to be the leader. in. you know, those were the opportunities I had growing up. So from there, he was like, okay, can you come on board and be an assistant choreographer for the video? And after the video, he was like, can you come choreograph a promo tour? And I did that. And then after, you know, all the Michelle work wrapped, He was like, I may have a really big gig for you in a few months. You know, I may have something that may work really well with you. You know, give me a few months to figure it out. And, you know, I'll give you a call. And a few months went by. I went back to doing what I was doing, you know, hustling in these dance streets where all the other thousands and thousands of dancers, you know, auditioning over again, assisting choreographers I had good relationships with, you know, continuing my hustle at, you know, wanting to do this dance thing. And, you know, I always had this kind of trajectory of like working my way up, you know. I always had this idea of wanting to work my way up the um, totem pole. So within that, I went back and then a couple of months went by. One day I was like, you know, let me just put some stuff together, you know, for for Frank, you know, to some Beyonce stuff. You know, maybe I can, maybe he needs something. You know, so I had started like choreographing in my bedroom. And that same day I was starting to create, he gave me a call and was like, hey, I have this Beyonce record. Can you get to New York tonight? I cannot send it to you an email. But once you get here, I can play it for you. You'll work to it a few days. You'll meet her. You'll work with her. You'll get a vibe. You know, if she likes you, you'll stay. If she don't like it, you know, we'll get you back to L.A. safe and sound. You know, and I'll figure something out. <laughs> we'll figure out what that means. You know, and I was like, yeah, you know, and I had to hop on a flight that night on a red eye. We started that next morning and the record was single ladies. and. I just started giving everything I could give and everything I knew and everything I had to offer. You know, I went in the room and just threw it all on the floor, you know, and Beyonce came in the first day and she learned some stuff. And then we sat down and we talked for a couple of hours of like how she wanted it to feel, the energy she wanted to, you know, the routine to have and the video to capture. The video was, we knew from early on that we wanted it to be a dance video you know it was going to be about the dance and she just wanted to go through have these different layers and we just started to tap into those and that was we worked two weeks on that (laughs) and I remember leaving going getting back to LA and I was in LA for a week and then I got a call like hey I need you to get back to New York and start working with me again Cause she's about to start performing it, you know, before the record drops. And we started rehearsing our live set and then the video dropped, you know, at some point. And um, this is a funny story that people haven't heard. When the video dropped the first time, I actually hated the video. Wait. Because <laughs> hated it. Because it was hated, hated, because it was off sync. So people don't know is when you edit a video, you go, you literally go through like a week, weeks of 
this post-production process, you know, of getting the edit right, making sure the dance hit right in time with the music and you give notes, okay, maybe we can switch out this take for that take, okay, boom, 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 you know, like you want to get it so you, it's nice and gooey, but the edit was off by like a millisecond. <laughs> oh, come on. I feel <laughs> the edit was off by like and you can maybe tell. a mil- like. I had been working on it for weeks. <laughs> of course I could. T- <laughs> and we had it perfect. <laughs> like we had it perfect. And the edit was all, I remember at home looking at it, it came on MTV jams. It was a video of the week. And, uh, I was like, Frank, the edit is off. The edit is off. The edit is off. And he was like, holy shit, the edit's off. The edit's off. So we literally like, it was like a few days where we caused the havoc and had to get them to replace the edit that was floating. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So no one has never heard that. That's wild. man. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then that millisecond, it made a world of a difference for me just being so in it. But yeah, I'd say after single ladies, it was like, oh. Totem pole reference went out the way. I really didn't have much of a dance career because I started choreographing, you know, a year and a half been in LA. See, and the, and that's what I love about your story because I feel like, and I love if you can offer any insight about not only creating opportunities for yourself, but turning those opportunities into something solid. Because I feel yeah. like there's so many amazing dancers, choreographers out there, but not many people reach the level that you've reached. So what is it about creating opportunities and turning those opportunities into something that is more than an opportunity? It's like an actual something you can something tangible an actual career believing in you you have to believe in yourself and know what you have what you bring to the table and what you have to offer you know people oftentimes want to work in in this industry especially in the music industry in the entertainment business to take from you know but it's not a business of taking the entertainment industry is a business of giving You know, you have to come and be ready to give your whole self and not expect anything in return. And I think that was me, especially when I first started. I wanted to give as much as I could in hopes that one day someone would call me in hopes that I would have an opportunity to run my own music video in hopes that I could dance on a gig in hopes that I can choreograph two eight counts, you know? But I had to give my all. And I think, but anyway, you know, it's about being able to believe in yourself and bet on you first. You have to be able to bet on yourself before anyone else, before before the big gigs. They have to see you from the jump and know that you're really about it and that you mean business. And when you walk in the room, you you know what you're saying and you say it very clearly and it's no mishmash and it's not trying to do a lot, you know. And I think for me, I always had a clear plan. I had my goals written down from early on, you know, of what I wanted to do and where I saw my career going, you know, before I even started, you know, choreographing for real, you know, I already had goals of wanting to be the next big creative director, the next big Jamie King, you know, I already had goals of, you know, once I started working with B then that maximized, I wanted to be bigger than Bob Fosse. You know, I had those goals early on, you know, and I started to write out plans and goals of how I could get there, you know, and these are like three-year goals, five-year goals, six-year goals, you know, and then even some were like 
and within this year, within the next two years, but you know, really create a plan for yourself that you can baby step towards. It's not about getting it all right now. It's about baby steps. And people saw what people don't know is they saw single ladies as such a big, iconic, huge gig. That was just the starting point. That's where my foundation started. You know, that's where my, that was plan goal one, (laughs) step one. You know, that wasn't my end all. That was me, step one. You know, now here I am 12 years later, we're, we're at step five. You know what I'm saying? Up to 10 steps. You know, we're still, we still going and people can say, oh my God, you've killed it. You've done this. No, I'm still just getting started, you know? And I think that's also important. Like, keep going, dream big, dream bigger than what you've done. You may have changed the world already. Change it five more times, change it 10 more times. You know, can you do it again? Can you do it with somebody else? Can you yourself be out there and do it yourself? You know, like create new obstacles for yourself that seem impossible that you then have to kind of hurdle yourself over to get there. That's so funny because just today I was just scrolling through Twitter and somebody posted a video of James Baldwin being interviewed by Maya Angelou. And they were talking about, he mm-hmm. was saying that success, thinking that you're a success is like the number one killer of like a creative person. Like once you feel like you've reached, you've like, you peaked, yeah. like where else can you go from here? So it's like, that's so funny that you mentioned that. Cause I just watched that video today and I was just like, this is a whole word right here. So yeah. And like, I'm hard on myself like that. Even like, if you come in my, even I'm in my studio, you know, like you come in my studio, I have a bunch of pictures and things up, but people like, where are your movement? Where are your movement? I have two movement. They are in the boxes wrapped up still. You will not find them out. And that's only because I'm just terrified of the day I put them up, I will get comfortable. You know, I feel like the day I put them up, I'm like, okay, we can sit back. I got two movement, you know, ooh, look it up. You know, I'm terrified of that day of becoming comfortable, you know? And that's why they're like in cabinets over there, you know, uh, just so I can stay away from having that feeling. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, Joquel explains how he's expanded his role beyond just a choreographer to an image architect, which is just the best title, and why sometimes it's necessary to destroy your own work. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I love talking to you because I feel like this, you're the type of person that is like, I love the fact that that all of what you're saying totally ties into the fact that you noticed that the edit was off by a millisecond because like you're that kind of creative that is just like so in tune with what they're doing that you're just able to like really dial in. I think that that's sort of the key to your success. And I know that that is what you've been applying to uh, being a creative director as well, or as I heard you call it one time, an image architect, which I loved. And so mm-hmm. I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, what it's, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? But what does that mean in the context of what you do? Like, and can you give me an example of like an, an image that you've architected? It's architected a word. Okay. Um, <laughs> image architect, you know, I was go to say that's someone who literally builds an image from start up. And the ideal person right now to say 
I've done that for is Megan Thee Stallion. Mm-hmm. You know, we can look at everything before Jaquil Knight on Megan and people's like, oh my God, we love her song. You know, she's a fun girl. She can twerk, you know, she can shake, 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 blah, blah, blah. You know, okay, she's not really my favorite performer, you know, but, you know, I love her records. I want to play her records and have fun, you know, but I would say, you know, it was literally the BET Hip Hop or BET Awards um, this past year that sort of, when people saw that, was like, okay, who's this girl? Oh, yeah. Uh Oh, yeah. No. (laughs) You know, it changed the game for her because people started to be like, okay, Okay, Miss Megan, Miss Stallion, you know, we see you coming through. She got something to say. She really trying to show up, you know, and we've been elevating every time we drop or release something. Um, so it's just that, you know, it's taking something that has like some sort of form. And I can say this too. I've always been a fan of Megan before I started working with her. And I remember saying, you know, I'm going to get my hands on her when the time is right. Um, and it seems like this year was our time and it made sense for us because she had like an energy and a presence, you know? So for me, it's just been about dialing it in and changing the narrative, you know, changing it. So she wasn't only just out here twerking, you know, but oh my God, she can do it so talentedly, you know, and she can coordinate with dancers and it's choreographed and now it's like okay we can elevate what that looks like you know and then also bring in you know elements of you know other styles of dance and you know precision that just cleans it up and just have you blown away from the fact that oh my god she can get in the room and spend time and work and be in unison with others you know i think that's been working great for us, you know, cause she's, she loved dancing growing up as well. And she moves really well. So it's about being dialing in the, the narrative of her being a rapper, of her being a dancer, but mostly her being a performer, you know, she wants to perform and she wants to put on, you know, and when you speak performers, it's not about being the best dancer. It's not about being the best rapper. It's about being able to put on a show and connect your worlds, connect those worlds that relate to you and being able to allow the rest of the world to see it and experience it in a way that they have never experienced it before. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my role here as an image architect. And that's, and I think, what is that like for you stepping into someone else's vision, right? Because at the end of the day, this is something that they have to sell. This is something that is, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, uh, their, their image that you're helping to build. But I want, I want to hear like, what is that like kind of adapting to these different artists that you work with? So say, for example, um, like a Beyonce, like when we see, we -hmm. see how much, how clear she is on the vision that she wants and the, then just the down to the minutia of performances. I mean, we saw that Mm -hmm. like homecoming and we saw the behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and how dedicated she is to this. And when you, when you kind of flip it and you have someone like Megan who equally works hard, but she's not that. She's didn't, she didn't have grow up being a performer, you know what I mean? Not, not a performer, right. like stage presence and yeah. all that. So how do you sort of navigate in that realm of like collaborating with these different artists who are different levels of being a performer? And how do you like step in, fill in the blanks, know when to fall back? Like, what is that process like for you? Again, like how I approach choreography and creating, I approach that with artists. You know, I treat each one 
how I don't go into the room with things preconceived. I don't go in the, I don't go in the room expecting everyone to be a Beyonce. I don't go in the room expecting everyone to be a Britney Spears or, you know, I go in the room expecting, hoping to meet that person and meeting them halfway, whoever it is. Um, you know, I treat them like their own identity, their own person, their own brand, their own living organism and start that's my starting point you know so i don't go in with notions of wanting to throw this ah 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 literally what do you want to do here's here's something that i've painted you know if it's like a first time experience you know i can go and put a set together put a performance together you know give me a few days and let me work out the nuances and how i would like for you to move through the piece you know if this is our first time working you know boom, I present them something. And then, you know, what do you want to do? What do you like from that? What do you not like? And, you know, then start from there. You know, oftentimes I have to tear myself apart, tear things that I love down, you know, because it's not them. And I think coming, coming into a space where you have to collaborate with someone, you have to be able to meet them halfway, like any relationship, you know, it's sacrifices. And, as much as you want things to go your way all the time, it does not go that way. Mm. <laughs> um, it does not happen that way. And I think what's worked so well with me is I meet them all halfway. And then I take what they want to do and where they can excel in and I push them. I make it harder for them to do just that, you know? So then they can see the growth in themselves. Then it's like, okay, man, we can do this too. And then we can do this too. You know, I just continue to turn up the heat. I don't let the heat cool down off of them. Just because you kill that one, okay, boom, we turn it up higher for the next one. Okay, I turn it up again. You know, I'm the guy that walks in the room after you did your best performance to date that say, it was okay. <laughs> I think we can. <laughs> man, I think we can. I, I think we can do, I think we can, were you nervous? You know, I'm that guy. Like, were you nervous? Like, oh, you wasn't nervous. Oh, okay, we can work harder for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm that guy, you know? Right. So as much as you believe in yourself, if you truly believe in yourself, I'm going to do my part to continue to push. If you want to get somewhere, I'm going to do whatever I can do to get you there, you know? So it's oftentimes like just literally meeting the person and just continuing to, meet them where they are and then just start to dial that in and then continue to groom and push them. And speaking of expanding beyond, you know, choreographer, creative director, you also started your own foundation. And I want to know, I mean, like what made you want to branch off in this direction and what exactly is your mission with your foundation? The mission statement of the company has been able to create a platform and opportunities for those who look like myself and who feel like myself, you know, be able to encourage, impact, and inspire the next, the next Jaquil Knight. How can we build and make sure the next me out there, you know, have everything they need to excel, to be great, to flourish, to be better than, you know, um, and as I, I travel the world teaching dance classes and I tell people, I used to be that guy, you know, I used to be in the classroom. I do an intensive every year in London, you know, where people fly all over the world. I think last year we had like 150 kids, you know, I can only take, I really should take 60 because that's a lot of people, but I end up pushing it to like 75 in each class. 
and they get to spend a week with me as if we were in proper rehearsals. And I tell them, I was you, you know, I was you. I was the one in class that was sitting in the back and just take classes all the time and learn and watch, you know, and not ask questions, but go home and work on it. You know, but you got to put in the work. You got to be able to want to study. You got to be able to do your research. You got to be ready to work nonstop, work days in, don't sleep, you know, um, eat when you can, eat and work at the same time, you know, but continue to chisel at your craft all the time and do not give up. So that's my hopes for the foundation is be able to build a space where I can just continue to push and inspire and touch those who, who may not have access to things where they are, you know, cause I was raised in Atlanta, but I grew up, I was born in a small town in North Carolina, Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, where no one there will have, can possibly see the heights where I'm mm-hmm. at now, you know? You know, being a choreographer, working in music is not a thing that you can even dream about there. You know, so my thing is with the foundation is be able to touch those, you know, people who came and see themselves on TV, people who don't even know how to begin to be able to dream that they can one day do the things that I'm doing or even better than, like I've said, you know. Um, So those are the hopes and kind of dreams of the foundation is be able to inspire the next Fatima Robinsons, the next Bob Fossey's, the next Jaquella Knights, the next Tanisha Scott's, and be able to equip them to take on this crazy, crazy world of entertainment. And I know that in addition to clearing that path and laying the foundation for the next generation, I mean, you're doing something right now that is, it, it, it shouldn't be remarkable, but it kind of is like copper copywriting your dance moves, like making the, taking that initiative to make sure that the works that you've created that have become so iconic are protected. And so I think that that's something that a lot of people, something I've always been interested in, you know, especially when you think about how, you know, these dances can go viral across social media and like in gaming companies and stuff. It's, it's, there is obviously a huge commodity in dance moves and I love the fact that you're taking that taking those steps to protect your work because we've seen so many times artists and creatives like well they'll wake up one morning and see a print that they've done on someone's shirt and they're like what <laughs> like so in this age where we're able to upload uh you know our our, our work online and share it with the world is great but then that also leaves the door open for people kind of for you know ill or not not knowing intent like take that work so for you i mean what has that process been like for you so far in taking going through those steps of protecting your iconic dance moves i mean it's a process you know it's a true in-depth deep it gets really nasty at times it gets really dark but it's a process you know because it's something new and it's something that we haven't seen in this commercial environment Mm -hmm. and i guess what has worked with me you know is i've someone has a track record of creating things that go on and they live well beyond that time well beyond myself i would say you know is the goal is to always create things that when when I'm not here anymore, I still want people doing some of this stuff, you know. Um, so with that, you know, it's like I can't just keep doing this for you. You know, how can I get pleasure out of it? You know, how can it also benefit myself as an artist as well? You know, um, so I just been treating this experience as like 
as I work with artists, I have to remember I'm an artist myself and I create as well. And I um, want to create a world where I can create freely and be protected and also um, reap some of the benefits they may come with. Because as you said, there's these huge corporations and big companies that see the impact of dance and they get it. They got it good. Um, So it's not allowing them to continue to go and abuse the the land of, you know, but also allow us to take part of that. You know, it's not to say don't do it, but allow us to be a part of it. You know, um, so I'll say um, it's to just protect us across the board as these companies go and make billions of dollars. We want, we want a couple, a, couple, a little bit of that. I want hey, a man. little bit of your billions, <laughs> you know, as you go travel the world and you're doing these dances over and over again, you know, and you're getting millions a night, you know, let me see some of those millions, exactly. you know, a little bit of it, you know, so that's all I'm saying, you know, just allow a lot. And then for us as the creators, the experience could be even more collaborative and you can create better things and take the things further. And, you know, choreographers are super creative. You know, we have ideas that like can really launch an artist and it's pad, you know, so allow us to do just that and, you know, be a part of the experience fully and not just a piece of it. And so before I let you go, I love asking this question of all my guests. When you look back at your career from this point, knowing that, you know, it's you've got miles and miles and miles to go. How have you come to define creativity at this point in your career? Ooh, that's a hard one. So I always save it for the last. I always save it toward the end. (laughs) I'll say this. I've found to define creativity as a space of being free, you know, allowing myself to be you know, allowing me to just be present and alive because the world shapes us. The world should shape how we think, you know, we should either agree or disagree with things. And that's life, you know, so I define creativity by just being alive with everything that's been going on in the world. You know, we've, especially this past few months of just being in America, you know, just from us again, seen the same things happen over and over again. Our black brothers, our black sisters being murdered and slain on the streets for just doing nothing, for just being black, just for just being beautiful, you know, and then um, just the nuances of like change in government things, policies that, why why is this even here? You know, um, all of that affects me as a creative, you know, and goes into my process of creating. So, And then the good parts of it, you know, being able to travel the world, you know, being able to go to South Africa and spend Christmas in South Africa, you know, and see how they party and get down, being able to go down to New Orleans during Mardi Gras weekend and be swamped into that culture, you know, being from Atlanta, you know, being able to go to Paris and just see how they live, you know, having the opportunity to travel the world, you know, travel the world, be present right now, being alive, you know, I would say it's the true definition. <laughs> say it louder for the people in the back. Jaquel, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This has been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. I can't wait to blast this because, you know, people need to hear this side of things. 
Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Make sure to comment, subscribe, share, you know, all that good stuff that you're so used to hearing by now at the end of every single podcast, but it really does make a difference and it really does matter. And I'm just so excited to be back with this podcast. And as a reminder, this is a bi-weekly podcast. So we'll be back with a fresh new episode of Creative Inspiration, not next week, but the week after that. Hope you'll be listening.